Good morning. It's my privilege to bring to you the first reading today, which is from John chapter 20, verses 1 to 18, and you'll find it on page 880 in the Pew Bible. John 20, 1 to 18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of his tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb, crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realise that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned around and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. Good morning. The second Bible reading today is from 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, verses 1 to 11, and this is on page 933 in the Pew Bible. The Resurrection of Christ. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, 
then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. And this is God's word. Friends, the day that changed the world, it can change you too. What a wonderful message it is, isn't it, on Easter Sunday morning. Friends, uh, not everyone believes this message. In 2010, there was an atheist convention in Melbourne. And uh, they were trying to argue that uh, there was no God and that religion was an evil force in society. As a result, the open house program on radio station 103.2 asked Dr. Ross Clifford, who is the principal of Morling Theological College, also the author of the book Leading Lawyers, Case for the Resurrection, they asked him to debate the atheist Dan Barker. And Dan was in Australia for that atheist conference. Dan Barker was a former Christian minister who now joined the ranks of the atheists. And uh, for over an an hour, they debated the existence of God, the person of Jesus, and his death and his resurrection. Ross Clifford writes, It was not for the faint-hearted, as atheists are tough-minded, and this current crop of new atheists are angry. They don't like the gospel or the church, and wish us confined to the scraps of history. But Ross, in that uh, interview, or in that debate, in fact, pointed forward to five things, crucial facts, that few refute. Number one, that Jesus died by crucifixion. Two, that the earliest disciples experiences that they thought at least were appearances of the risen Jesus. Their subsequent transformation to the point of even being willing to die for the faith, so convinced that they had met the resurrected Jesus, they were willing to die. Fourthly, the resurrection was at the very center of the early apostolic preaching. Read the book of Acts. They spoke about the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That's what sent them forward. And the conversion and resulting transformation of Paul, who was Saul of Tarsus, an enemy of Christ, rounding up Christians, putting them to death, imprisoning them, and then he was transformed by the gospel. And that reading that we just had a moment ago was written by that apostle, who was once an enemy of Christ, now a servant of Christ, arguing that God had transformed him. Friends, there is a strong case for the death and resurrection of Jesus. And Ross left uh, his listeners with a challenge to read the gospels for themselves, Read the accounts in the New Testament of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of who Jesus is, what he said, how he lived, what he did, and ultimately his death and resurrection. But friends, we need not be afraid if you're a Christian, because the atheist challenge is not a new challenge. Let me take you back to 1917, and a fellow called Nikolai Ivanovich Bukharin. He was a powerful man on earth at that stage, a Russian communist leader took part in the Bolshevik Revolution in 1917. He was the editor of the Soviet newspaper Pravda. He was a full member of the Politburo. 
His works on economics and polit political science are still read today. There's a story told of him one day traveling from Moscow to Kiev, which is interesting in light of what is happening today. From Moscow to Kiev to address a huge assembly on the subject of atheism. He addressed the crowd and he sought to destroy Christianity because it was atheist, atheistic communism that ruled in that period of time. He wanted to destroy Christianity, argument, proof against it. At the end of his address, he asked if there were any questions. There was deafening silence in the auditorium. You imagine the communist leader speaking to you. Do you have faith or courage to say anything at this point? to the left and to the right. Then one man stood up and went forward to the lectern. He looked around. He looked at the uh, Bukharin who had just spoken. Then he simply said, Christ is risen. At that point, the whole assembly that had been listening to the atheists for an hour stood up and said, He is risen indeed. You can mount up your argument. But the truth is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We, we can be convinced by the evidence for the resurrection that Jesus is alive today. Do not fear the atheist. Do not fear the agnostic. Do not fear those who challenge the message of the cross and the resurrection. It's in the evidence. The resurrection proves without doubt that there is a God. That his son Jesus died on the cross for our sins, making a way back to God. We talked about that on Good Friday. Good Friday worked, is the point of the resurrection. Death is not the end. It changes everything. Hope, forgiveness, peace, mercy, joy, all those words we saw at the end of that video offers, uh, offered to us by God. There's a Bible expert called Hank Hanegraaff uh, from the United States, and he writes this, What happened as a result of the resurrection is unprecedented in human history. In a span of a few hundred years, a small band of seemingly insignificant believers succeeded in turning an entire empire upside down. As has been well said, they faced a tyrant's brandished steel, the lion's gory mane, and the fires of a thousand deaths, because they were utterly convinced that they, like their master, would one day rise from the grave in glorified, resurrected bodies. Friends, we saw on Friday that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Isn't that good news? Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death, yes, and we needed someone to pay the price to deal with our debt, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The resurrection is vital and it changes everything. And this morning, I just want to focus on two areas. Firstly, the resurrection guarantees that our sins are forgiven in Christ. Later on in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes, if Christ has not been raised, because there were some who are arguing against the resurrection, and Paul says, whoa, stop. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Now, there's a direct connection between the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. You can't just have the death and no resurrection, because the resurrection guarantees that Good Friday works. If there's no resurrection, there's no forgiveness of sins. He's just a prophet, a false one who dies on a cross. He's just a failed religious leader who's dead and buried. But if the resurrection is true, 
everything changes. But if Jesus is raised from the dead, then Good Friday worked. And we can be sure our sins are forgiven. Martin Lloyd-Jones is a famous writer from the past. He says, The resurrection is the proclamation of the fact that God is fully and completely satisfied with the work that His Son did upon that cross. And because of that, we preach repentance and faith in Jesus. We call men and women to turn from their sins, to put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 5, we see Peter speaking. He says, the Apostle Peter it is, the God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead. Notice all of their preachings about the resurrection, whom you have killed by hanging him up on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and saviour, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. Friend, you can have the guarantee that when you turn from your sins, put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be forgiven. As we said on Friday, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is someone who's taken our place. Forgiveness is available to all. Transformation is available to all. Friend, Dr. Clifford Hughes is a cardiothoracic surgeon, quite a famous Australian. And he often uh, gives lectures on uh, bypass surgery. I was reading uh, of one. And he speaks to people. Often when they talk about bypass surgery, we get a little bit nervous. We don't want someone cutting up our heart and, and trying to fix up our blockages. We get a bit nervous. Will we survive the surgery? Will we come out the other end? And he says to them, it's pretty straightforward and simple most times, right? Well, I needed to say most times. It's normally we go in, we clear it up, and we cut things here, and we connect things here. I'm looking at an emergency doctor down here now, trying to explain this surgery. Um, and uh, he said, we go in and we do all the things, and, and it's amazing, because we go in, and then we're able to allow the blood to flow properly, and you have life, right? Friends, my younger brother suffered a heart attack 16 months ago. It was in November. Uh, got up in the middle of the night, couldn't sleep, couldn't breathe properly, sat up. In the morning, he, uh, he uh, went to meet his cycling mates. He didn't cycle with them that morning. They're having coffee afterwards. That's what they do. And as he walked in, he looked like the walking dead. His mates, and half of them are surgeons or dental surgeons or heart surgeons or, or orthopedic surgeons. That's what they do in Barrel, by the way. They all retire, all the surgeons down there. They work part-time. And they said... What are you doing here? So what's wrong? He said, well, he explained what happened. They took him straight to Barrel Hospital. They then took him straight to Liverpool Hospital. They opened him up and had a look, and they said, well, you have four blockages. Then underwent surgery. He was almost dead at 59. Now his heart should be good for many years to come. Dr. Hughes tells stories like that, and he says... Then he makes the spiritual analogy. He says, just like we have various struggles in our own bodies and, and, and blockages that need to be removed, he said, we all have a sin problem and a guilt problem. Because we've sinned against God, we need to let God operate on our hearts spiritually. He said, the scalpel is the death and resurrection of Jesus. If we acknowledge that we are sinners and rebels and we allow Jesus to do his work on our hearts, he cleanses us, forgives us, and gives us life not just simply for another 20 or 30 years on earth, but for life eternal. 
Friends, that is the good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus, a spiritual transformation. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. And it's not only just forgiveness, but I want to remind you, it's transformation. And John Dixon is the famous Australian now working in the United States. And I was reading his book called A Sneaking Suspicion. And it's a book he wrote many years ago aimed at uh, the teenage uh, um, age group. And he said, I had a sneaking suspicion that there was more to life than what I knew. And he started to research it. And uh, it tells a little bit about his, his story. And it goes like this. He said, uh, as a non-believing, non-church attending, struggling teenager... He was drawn to Christ through the witness of a scripture teacher at a high school. And this scripture teacher invited a bunch of mates, like himself, 15, 16-year-olds, to go to her house on a Friday afternoon for scones and Bible studies. He said, we thought we'd go for the scones, we'd listen into the Bible study. Why not? We like free food, right? So it's amazing, in the Mossman area they were, and so they went over. He said, I was a troubled teenager. He said, I would shop lift a little bit, not too much, just Mars bars and things, stick them down my pants and walk out. I would climb over the fences and break into Taronga Zoo. We lived next door, I had a mate next door, so we'd climb over the fences and go and talk to the koalas and the other animals. We never got caught, we never needed a zoo pass. For five years, he says, I learned martial arts. Unbelievable when you think about what he does now, he writes and defends the Christian faith around the world. He says, I learned martial arts. I would wake up before 6 a.m. every morning to train and train and train. Then I'd go to school and find people to practice on. <laughs> they said, I didn't get into too many fights, just one or two. And everyone knew I was John Dixon. Don't mess with him. See, it was at this time I met a scripture teacher. And I learned that God still loved me despite my failings that Christ still died for me on the cross despite my failings, that the righteous one died in my place, that the unrighteous could come to him. I said, a little while earlier, my mother had taken me to a child psychologist. I can understand that. He <laughs> said, I enjoyed my sessions with a psychologist because you know what you do with a psychologist? You talk about yourself for an hour. <laughs> I, I like that, he said. Psychologists thought, well, maybe you're losing your dad in a plane crash at the age of nine might have affected you. Probably did. It's violent, antisocial behaviour. But she offered no real solution, the psychologist. I had an allergy test. They discovered I might be allergic to cow's milk. They took me off dairy products. No change. However, he said, once I found God's forgiveness and friendship, the changes started to happen in my life. I'd been forgiven. I found peace with God. I found value in God. I knew I was loved. By God, God started to change me from the inside out. Friends, the gospel is powerful not only to save, but to transform. The resurrection, the resurrected Christ, brings forgiveness and transformation, available by faith. Well, let me say, everyone in this room needs God's forgiveness. Everyone on live stream watching us, worshipping with us, needs God's forgiveness. And ultimately, we all long for it, don't we, to have peace with God. But secondly, you don't just want the forgiveness, you want the promise of eternal life. Jesus, uh, or Paul says in verse 18, if Christ is not raised from the dead, okay, if he didn't come back to life, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ, that means those who have died, have perished and are lost. There's nothing more. 
You just suffer God's judgment forever. You don't get life if he's not alive. But if Christ has been raised, our hope is in everlasting joy and life. Do you believe in life eternal? I was praying for someone just this week, a couple of days ago. can't mention who it is, but I, was, I went to see them. Increased morphine. You know, what happens at that point when you're in your final moments? Increased morphine to handle uh, your suffering and to deal with the pain. Or often a sign that you don't have long to live. I was able to read the scriptures to this person. I read Romans 5, 6 to 11 that we looked at on, on Friday. This person loves Jesus. This person knows there is life to come. He may experience that very soon. But there is hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have everlasting joy in life. Verse 20 says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Don't let anyone deceive you. Don't let anyone lead you astray. He has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, the first fruits, uh, it's, it's a harvest analogy. Normally, when you are, you're growing your crops uh, and you start to see some of the first fruits, that's a sign that the harvest is coming. There are going to be more fruits. And Jesus, his resurrection is the same thing. It's the picture that we too will be raised from the dead one day and be with him. 1 Corinthians 6.14 says, By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. People often come to me and say, Ange, if someone were to come back from the dead, I would believe in Jesus. What do I say to them? Well, someone has 2,000 years ago. His name is Jesus. You can check out the evidence for yourself. And at that point, I'll often uh, refer them maybe to this book, More Than a Carpenter, by Josh McDowell. And we have a copies available afterwards to have a read for yourself for some of the evidences. Or some other books that answer the questions of the resurrection. Friends, whether we believe in God or not, and maybe you, think, you don't think about God very often, we all have a yearning for eternal life. Do you notice how often when someone famous dies, we all start talking about seeing them in, in the afterlife? Even though they've been far from God, never believed in God, never went near a church or anything, we, we have this desire and hope that, as someone has put it, I hope there is a heaven and I pray there is no hell. Right? It's that, oh, we hope there's something afterwards. Because God has created us with a hunger in our hearts for something beyond this earth. If there is nothing else, John Dixon puts it this way, what's life like if there is no God and there's no resurrection? Our origin, we're a mutated fluke of evolution. Our destiny will eventually rot and become food for worms. Our life, we're a collection of minerals and chemicals worth about $5. Our past, it had no purpose. Our future, it contains no hope. Our present, it possesses nothing of meaning or value. It's ultimately meaningless. But friends, if Christ has been raised from the dead, it changes everything. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Friends, there is a choice to make, isn't there? Receive the Lord Jesus. Believe in Him. Receive Him into your life. Find forgiveness and eternal life. But if you keep rejecting Him and you face God unforgiven, that will be a terrible day for you. Let me conclude with a story of a lady called Mary. Mary was not a happy woman. She was going through a divorce and clearly that leads to terrible pain and anxiety. 
But see, going differently through the divorce settlements, and uh, that made things worse. And from her perspective, everyone else was wrong and she was right. She couldn't see some of her own failings, some of her own problems in the situation. She had alienated most of her friends and her family. Going through a divorce, arguing with everyone alone. But then she was diagnosed with leukemia. And when she was diagnosed with leukemia, because she had some uh, knowledge of God, she ended up going to a church healing service. The pastor prayed for her, and they sensed in which God was going to do a new work in this person's life. A few days later, she was in intensive care. The pastor visited her again. He asked if she wanted God to forgive her, to touch her life afresh, to reconnect with God and get right with God in the midst of her illness. She said, oh, I don't know what I think about God. As she started to leave, she said, oh, no, sorry, please come back, please come back. I need to know God. In a hospital room, a prayer took place where she thanked Jesus for dying for her, for forgiving her, for being her friend. She asked Jesus to change her through his spirit. A few days later, the pastor conducted her funeral at a crematorium. There was only a handful of people present. Her ex-husband approached the pastor. They shook hands, and the pastor said to him, I'm sorry your life together wasn't that good, that things ended like this. He replied, don't be sorry. I wouldn't have believed it. A miracle took place, he says. I went to that old so-and-so on Tuesday afternoon, and she took my hand and said words I never thought I would hear. She said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for all the pain I caused you. He said, we parted friends. It was a miracle. The woman had been truly healed by God, forgiven and changed, died at peace with God and her loved ones, now spending eternity with Christ. Friends, the gospel is good news. The resurrection guarantees both, guarantees both forgiveness and eternal life. But you've got to make a decision. You've got to make a choice. God offers all of that. At some point, you have to receive it for yourself. And friends, don't go home tonight if you've never received that message of forgiveness. If you've never received Jesus into your life, don't go home and think, oh, I'll think about it tomorrow or the next week. Think about it now. If God is speaking to you now, ask him to forgive you. Ask him to come into your life. Ask me to start that transformation. God, through his death, the death and resurrection of Jesus changes everything. May God change your life and continue to transform you. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you that in Jesus we have forgiveness, reconciliation, peace with God, and the promise of eternal life. Please change us to become more like Jesus. Help us to share this message with others. And Lord, for those who don't yet know you, I pray that this morning, whether in this auditorium or on live stream, they will put their faith in you. They will trust in your goodness, trust in your love and mercy and grace, and become new people in Jesus. I pray in Christ's name for his glory. Amen.